Hey everybody, it's Justin here. I just wanted to pop in before the episode begins because you're going to notice this great omission from this episode, which is we don't mention this amazing announcement that Sufjan Stevens is putting out a new record called Javelin, which is also a Jordan Clawson record. Jordan did it first. We got to talk about that. But you won't hear it in this episode. Why? Because we recorded it months ago. It's been floating around in drop boxes and and whatnot. You know how it is. We never said we were the best Sufjan podcast, did we? Um, but don't worry, you know, in six months time, I'm sure we'll talk about uh, the new record. But I, I just want to say the new uh, single, So You Are Tired, is awesome. And Jordan and I have been enjoying it. And um, yeah, that's all. I just wanted you to know that we're a bad podcast. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. One, two, three. Hello, everybody. Welcome to That Was the Worst Podcast Ever, where two friends sit down, talk about their favorite musician ever, Sufjan Stevens. Today, we're talking about the 2020 New Age musical release. Aporia. But first, I'm going to introduce my co-host, Jordan Clausen. He's a musician, but most recently a stand-up comedian. Give it up for Jordan Clausen. Jordan. Thanks, everybody. You're a stand-up comedian now. Yeah. I was so impressed. So for our listeners, Jordan took a a course on comedy, Mm -hmm. and now he's really funny. (laughs) Yeah, it (laughs) it just opened up this unrevealed hidden part of me. Well, I was a little nervous because, you know, it could have been bad. Yeah. And then what do you do? What do you say? A hundred percent. Yeah, I think I'm really glad I had the course because I just kind of thought before that stand-up comedy was like people just like being going up and being like, whoa, I'm funny, you know, <laughs> and just like talking like they talk to their friends when they make their friends laugh. But it's You're not right. like that at all. Um, yeah, I think the common misconception is like your funny friend in high school would be a good stand-up, and it's like no, that's not how it works. Yeah, yeah, like every joke has every joke you've ever heard probably fits into some kind of joke formula, and so you learn the formulas, and a lot of it is just joke writing. Um, so did it take all the magic out of it? Like, there's just a formula of being funny. No, they're pretty loose formulas. So it will be like. Um, this is the a, rule of threes is one. Yeah, rule of threes. Uh, w- another one is like misdirection. So like you could set it up to be like, you know, you make people think you're going to say something, but then you say something really surprising. Um, that's another one that's really common. Uh, analogies. But, you know, analogy could be really anything. Like I heard this really great joke the other day that was like, um, oh, yeah, this comedian was like, <laughs> I heard this. I heard people on the Internet say. If you can't accept me at my worst, you can't accept me at my best. And he's like, that's like a fire saying, if you can't accept me when I burn down your house and kill your children, then I won't cook your meat for you on the barbecue. (laughs) That's very Seinfeld to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you had this one joke about eating 7-Eleven a lot. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, is that... Is that true? No. 
Here's oh, another no. thing. Here's another secret. You lie? Yeah. Th- here's another secret that's revealed <laughs> is that most of the stories you hear in stand-up are not, are not true or are like are changed in some way to make it more palatable. Like, um, for example, I told that story about my mom at the wedding with the foot in the mouth kind of thing. Right. Well, that's I, a true story. It's a true story, but I wasn't actually at the wedding. But oh. it makes it it makes it funnier if I'm there and, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. So a lot of what you hear in stand-up, or it might just be completely false. This, I wish we weren't having, this is ruining it for me. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it, for our listeners, in the stand-up I talk about how, I make this joke about how uh, they can study the bones of people from, a thousand years ago and tell exactly where they live by the way the bones are structured and that if people could um, study my bones a thousand years from now, they'd be like, this guy definitely lived near a Seven Eleven. Um, yeah. Yeah. But and it's not true. It's not really You're not true. eating taquitos. I haven't had taquitos in a very long time, but it's Seven Eleven is funny. Like what, like, you know, I guess I could have said like a fast food place, but I don't really like fast food. So no, I like Seven Eleven. Yeah. And you had a joke that you're obsessed with your mom's boobs. But yeah. that one's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was awkward because my mom was there, actually. Uh, yeah, what was that like saying a joke about your mom's boobs and she's there? <laughs> it was awkward. I told her before, though. So it That's was good. fun. Yeah. Uh, w- were you worried she was going to like yell out from the audience? Yeah. Hey, everybody, these are the titties he's talking about. And then she flashes everybody. <laughs> she shakes them all around. Oh, no, I should stop. Yeah, we love to stop. She's a, she's a fan, and yeah. we love her. <laughs> we should stop. Although you started it. Uh, no, you brought it up. Actually, do you know what's funny is, like, she sent, like, we videoed it, and we sent, she sent it to, like, some people in my extended family, and that was the only thing they talked about. They were like, why did he say that? That's disgusting. Like, what is wrong with your son? <laughs> so what, what now? Or what are you going to do? So you're a musician, you're a producer. Now you're a stand-up comedian. Leave some for the rest of us, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I'm going to try and do a couple open mics. And apparently that's part of like a rite, rite of passage as a comedian. Um, so I'm going to try and do some of those. Hopefully do a tight five for an opener. I don't know. I, the, the thing about being a comedian is like you already have to slog so much as a musician. And I have slogged for like 20 years. Yeah. Um, and it's even more of a slog to be a comedian. Like it's like, like you don't have any passive income. It's, you only get paid when you like do a show, you know? And oh, right. then you also just get paid like 30 bucks a show or something. It's like so depressing. <laughs> and also you bomb all the time. It's like just putting yourself out there in a whole different way. I don't know. I, I think it would, it's something that will develop into like a hobby, but I don't, I don't know if I could ever do the whole thing, you know? What about like an album where every other track is a joke, <laughs> but it's like, it's your music and then like a yeah. joke. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, everybody, what's the deal with airplane <laughs> bathrooms? <laughs> oh, that would be great. Yeah. Or, or just become a musical comedian, like, you know, like a Weird Al or like, like a Bo Burnham. Flight of the Concords. Yeah. Um, no. I'm just not, that's just not really that interesting to me, but. Yeah, I think mixing the two for you would be weird. Yeah. 
Do you feel fortunate that you're that you've made a career out of like creative work? Yeah, I do. In some ways, I do. And 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 sometimes, in some ways, I'm like, I have this kind of. Uh, yeah, there's this um, love-hate relationship between like loving what I do and being like, this is so cool that I just get to like dream about sounds and songs and words and um, pictures uh, and then make them like manifest in the world versus also being like, um, am I just adding to the noise? You know, like the world is so noisy and everyone's like being like, this is what I think. And, you know, am I just like another one of those voices? Really? Yeah. I don't. Yeah. You're not adding your music isn't like this is what I think. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's not like that. Have you ever heard that song about how like building seven came down and like it's an actual like pop song about (laughs) like 9-11 was in its job. It's like. You're not doing that. Like, actually, I don't I actually think I don't want to just sit here and toot your own horn. But some of your songs have actually really helped me mm. through through difficult times, mm. you know, and and I think that's that's what makes creative work so special. Yeah. Is sometimes it's you get to share common experiences and have help people along. And yeah. But uh, I don't know. Do you feel that way when you make like music for commercials and stuff? Um, no, actually, because I kind of feel like that's more of like, pe- I think it'll feel like that's more like a trade. People are like, we need yeah. this accomplished. And I'll be like, I know how to do that. And then I do it. I don't, I'm not like kind of like searching my soul or anything or thinking about what I'm, how I'm manifesting in the world. But yeah, it uh, is like an architect. You're like drawing up plans for a building and yeah. then building it. But it's such interesting work because usually with creative work, there is a a very few amount of people that they make millions and they get famous. And then everybody else just basically just tries to scrape by doing it. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I think is so hard about it. Yeah. I think it can be romanticized. I think that people can be kind of like the artist as this kind of superior being or something. But I think mm. the people who actually have kind of uh, careers with longevity actually treat it like a craft and treat it like in some ways a trade, you know, like yeah. I do the work. Um, sometimes it feels very inspired. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but it's not um, as ethereal as people think, at least for mm. me. So, Yeah. Well, I have this aspiration to write, but it just feels like it has to be something in order for me to do it. And so I just never do it because it's like, well, it has to be good enough for people to want to buy or, or want to read. And so I just never do it yeah. because I'm afraid of failing. Yeah. Um, it's very common. But, um, yeah. C- have you so, ever heard of the book, um, The War of Art? by Stephen Pressfield. No. What does he say? It's, I highly recommend it to our listeners, especially if you want, if you feel like Justin and you feel kind of like, well, basically the theory of the book is that we all have this kind of thing in us that, that wants to be creative. Um, but then there's what he calls the resistance. And the resistance comes in all kinds of forms. And he names them in the book. Like each chapter is a different form of resistance. It's like, um, how will this be accepted? Or Mm -hmm. um, I'll do this later when I'm 
feeling better or, you know, that there's all right. these things there's, and it's like literally like kind of like the spiritual war that you have to fight. Um, and every day he's like, you know, he's a writer and he's like, he wrote, um, like the legend of beggar Vance and, um, oh, okay. and he's like, every day I sit down and I go to war. He's like, it never feels easy. It's always a war. It's always a fight. And it was really freeing for me actually to hmm. read that because I was kind of like, okay, yeah, like I have to let go of the, this weird misconception I have that somehow this is just going to flow out of me or something and be like, just mm -hmm. so just pure excitement and ecstasy. Like, it's just not the way it is. Yeah, and people probably don't know, but even for you to have a music career, like, that was a battle. Yeah. Like an internal battle that you had to overcome. and Yeah. Even just give yourself permission to just do it. Totally. I was like, oh, does this have enough meaning? I want my life to mm -hmm. have meaning. <laughs> yeah. How did you do it? Like, you just, you just, how did you find... How did you give yourself enough permission to just be like, I'm just going to create what I'm going to create? I think you need like a little bit of nihilism where you're kind of like, it doesn't really matter actually, as much as I think right. it matters. You just kind of go like, life is nothing. It's just meaningless. So then you just choose something and you just stay the course because staying the course is the hardest thing and most people can't do it. Well, there's so many ups and downs. Yeah. That's what's so hard. Totally. Is yeah. And yeah. So how do you like, let me put it this way. Even every time I gave a sermon, like I've had to battle like mental health or, mm -hmm. or, or huge lows. But even though that really was my favorite way even to express myself mm -hmm. and I felt alive doing it, but it always felt like a battle. And now I'm actually wondering like, I don't know if I want to keep doing it. I don't know if it's worth it or, you know, maybe writing like it's, I don't even like writing reviews on Letterboxd because it's like, oh, like nobody liked it. Is this it. good enough? Is this yeah. good enough? Yeah. Nobody yeah. liked it. Yeah. But I mean, that's just why you just, I mean, not maybe not Letterboxd per se, but <laughs> you do, you just do it over and over and over again. And then it just it's like a, what's the word? Osmosis. You know, you just slowly find the skill like blooming in you. Um, yeah, but it's not, it's not like quick. And that's the problem is that most people kind of like, most people who want to do art are really great critics of art or really have, have a really great taste in art. And mm -hmm. it can be a detriment to them because they'll be like, I love this band. And yet when I write a song, it sucks compared to this band. And it's like, well, that band probably put a lot of work, a lot of years, probably wrote a lot of bad songs. And right. that's why, how they got to where they are today. So write bad, write bad stuff. Like you have to like count on writing bad stuff. Wow. That's good advice. What about your expectations of your own career? Like, do you have to let go of your own expectations and just let it be what it is? Um, yeah, that's another big thing. I think like yeah. I mean, it's different in every industry, but for me, I, I was really disappointed all the time when I was younger and starting. Cause I was like making stuff like over a lot of work that I started to feel was like, was good, but it's like, nobody cares or just like yeah. constant rejection or like not getting the thing, not kind of reaching some kind of status that you thought you could reach. Yeah. Um, and then I had to like lower my expectations a little bit. It was like, just at the, at the bare minimum of what do I want? And I realized I want to do this as a job. Uh, 
I want to be able to support a family one day with it. Uh, I want to kind of have creative space and open time to kind of use my time in ways that isn't too structured. Like I've always hated working nine to fives kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have all those things and yeah, so I'm happy. Wow. That's cool. Especially because there was a season when I first met you that, uh, you just, just making music was hard Mm, mm -hmm. and feeling like you were worthy enough to make music or, you know? Yeah. Well, I was still kind of like chasing the whole really, really dumb kind of evangelical narrative about like, you have to hear the voice of God to know, to know what your calling (laughs) is, you know, which, what does that even mean? You know, like that's not to say that I don't think, I don't believe in that kind of like divine mystery, but it's just kind of like, what, I just, I'm, I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I just have a feeling or something and I just know with yeah. certainty, like, what does it mean? And so often, it's just scary sometimes to ascribe your own thoughts to God, which yeah. is a lot of time when people say, I did hear from God on this thing. Because I've known so many people that were like, yeah, God really wants me to do this thing. And then suddenly the next month they're like, it didn't really work out. I think God wants me to do something else. And, you know, you just yeah. kind of realize, like, I don't think God's as in, as directing this as much as you think. No, and it's just a recipe for mental illness. Like, taking, taking your own thoughts as the voice of God, of the, yeah. the, the I mean, in the theological kind of master of the universe. And yeah. you have this thought, you know, like, that, that is, like, how OCD starts. Interesting. Totally. Yeah, I think that's kind of tripping up too. Because I don't know. Sometimes you get this feeling like, yeah, God's really in this, or there's this divine peace about it, and then it can kind of it goes belly up, and you end up feeling really disillusioned and like, well, what was all that about? But I think taking a step back and just realizing it's part of a process and it's normal. Yeah. And the process actually is about learning and humility and and. It's big yeah, picture it, stuff. It's like, the, uh, I mean, not to get too kind of religious, but I think the voice of God is kind of about your entire life. Like, it's like the painting of your life. And it's the kind of thing that you look back and realize it was there. The, yeah, I love that. The footprints in the sand was actually yeah. me carrying you. All right. With that said, uh, let's take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about Sufjan Stevens' album, Aporia, with Lowell Brams. Yeah. His stepdad. Yeah. So when we come back, Aporia.
Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to That Was the Worst Podcast Ever, a podcast where two lonely, ruddy men talk about Sufjan Stevens. And today we are covering the Sufjan Stevens collab with his stepfather, Lowell Bram, uh, Brams. Um, it's called Aporia. It's a new age instrumental record from what year again? 2020. It actually came out in March of 2020. Wow. Right at the Isn't start of the wild? pandemic. Yeah. Because do you like, did this make a blip on your radar? Uh, I, I remember when it came out, but I don't know. Like, you know, there, I think that I was like a little bit, Sufjan puts out so much stuff that at this point I was kind of like, oh, I wonder what this is. And then I listened to it. I was like, oh yeah, it's instrumental. And I never paid it much attention after that. <laughs> it, it also had the very unfortunate like being released at the end of March of 2020. And I even read that Sufjan bumped up the release because of COVID-19 and the fear that record stores would be closed. So I think they released it like a week earlier. But it's kind of like, didn't Jay-Z release an album on 9-11? It's like, it's just unfortunate that like the, it kind of got lost in, in all this. But to be honest, I don't think that's really Sufjan anyway. And I don't think that... Because our last episode was Call Me By Your Name. And, and we've got the Oscar performance. And I mean, strategically, if Sufjan was interested in cashing in on that notoriety, he probably would have put something else out. Yeah. Um, but he goes another way. And he creates an album with his stepdad to commiserate or celebrate his retirement from asthmatic kitty yeah so this is an interesting release um have you what did you think listening to it this week sure um i enjoyed some of it i I actually enjoyed it more than i thought i would um Mm -hmm. it was it was nice i i think uh at the same time i would say basically it's like new age music but without all the things that I like about New Age music. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, explain that. Well, I think New Age music is supposed to be kind of like very soothing and very uh, cohesive and like just kind of floats in and floats out. It's supposed to be the opposite of intrusive. And Sufjan just can't not do intrusive. (laughs) Although I think this is, I think this is less intrusive than than some of his other stuff. Absolutely. I guess I just kind of like, uh, you didn't need to throw in that like digital distortion floor tom pounding through this song, you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I, maybe I, that was Lowell's idea. Maybe. But I I know that a lot of my, a lot of our listeners are going to be like, oh, these friggin' millennial soft boys just can't <laughs> just can't handle anything Sufjan does that isn't tr- traditional Sufjan but that's not true I mean I I actually this is kind this is like one of my favorite genres of music yeah I love um I love ambient instrumental electronic music uh, and I would even say you're the only person I know that I could say like you like new age music yeah I love Enya I love Yanni. Yep. I love like that. It's such a funny genre. It is really funny. I think it's the only genre you can smell. 
<laughs> like you ever walk into like a store that s- sells like salt lamps? Yeah. It's that smell. You 100%. know what I mean? It's like an incense smell. A hundred percent. I don't know if Aporia really is that though, as you're saying. Yeah, I guess. This is, uh, yeah. And maybe I'm trying too hard to fit it into a category. That might be my problem. But I do feel like, you know, when I feel those lush, like 80s, smooth Jupiter pads, and then I'm like, oh, why is, why is there explosion sounds? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's supposed to be something that I listen to, like, while I'm getting a massage, not something right. that, like, what, what, like, what do you think this music is for? Well, okay, so that's a good question because as I'm listening to it, trying to figure out a hook to talk about this, that, and the other, really, like, it's hard to even remember what song is which and remember even, you know, as you listen to Aporia, it really kind of melds together into a whatever. Yeah, which is fine for, like, that. that's what New Age music is kind of like, and I'm fine with that. Um, actually, I'll send you this this record that I really like. Um, it's by a guy called, hang on one sec. It's just instrumental music. It's called da- uh, David Arkenstone. And he's got this, <laughs> this one called uh, Valley in the Clouds that I love. I listen to so much. And it's kind of like that. Like really? I don't, I'm not kind of like, this is a banger track, man. I just put it on and it just like is this kind of stream of consciousness that makes me right. feel kind of soothed. Um, well, yeah. I think for me, I, I had to, what I realized with Sufjan's instrumental music is I have to realize that I need to listen to it in a different way. Yeah. So with his lyrical releases, I'm going to analyze the stories and the lyrics and the, the melodies and all those things. And I'm, I'm going to, to really intently listen. But what Aporia, what I realized the magic is put it on when you're meditating yeah. Put it on when you're reading a book. That's where this album kind of, I go, oh, it makes a lot more sense to me. It's like it's, when you're meditating with a hemorrhoid. <laughs> well, yeah, it, 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 it does have those. I like how you say intrusive because you don't really want to be intruded on when you're meditating. And yeah. it does a little bit. But I would just say this album, I, I found there's a, a job where I work mornings and I get a 20 minute downtime. Yeah, And I just found putting it on for 20 minutes and either reading or meditating or praying or whatever, I was like, I am really enjoying this for that. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. So, and the other thing I really enjoy is I, I do love the backstory of it. I do love the reason for it. Yeah, totally. And this, the story of Sufjan and, and his stepdad is so unique. And interesting. And and the Pitchfork review starts just by saying that stepdads are usually talked about in the worst way. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, stepdads are the villain, you know. But Sufjan's stepdad is actually like, like I was reading about it. Uh, so Sufjan, he's been in Sufjan's life since he was four and got him his first four-track recorder. And when Sufjan recorded an album... Lowell Brams makes the record label to release Sufjan's album. Right. So this is incredible. So I just had this thought of like, would we even be hearing Sufjan's music without this relationship? Right. That's 
that's unreal. You yeah. know, if if Lowell Brahms doesn't exist, do we even get to hear Sufjan's music? Yeah, totally. Man, the Lowell, I mean, like, uh, God forbid, but, you know, the one day when Lowell passes away, we're going to get a banger Sufjan record. Oh my gosh, that is such a heartless way to talk about it. Just like, we are going to get something out of Sufjan. No, but really, I think you can really feel how beautiful this relationship is for Sufjan. And yeah, I don't know. It's even, it's even unique in a father-son, you know, like, because reading about Aporia is... Sufjan said it was jam sessions yeah. with Lowell. Yeah. And he said only 10% of it they used. Right. So it's basically just getting together with your stepdad and jamming. Yeah. Like, that's hard to do with an uncle. That's hard to do with a dad. <laughs> that's, that's hard, hard to, to do, do with, with anyone. That's hard to do with your best friend, your, <laughs> yeah. your musical partner. I hate jamming. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> but, like... That's how, like, you two write songs sometimes. And, you know, like, yeah. jamming is how some bands really find their magic. But I, the idea of jamming, even with somebody of a different generation, is just so, that would be so awkward. You know, it would pull in different ways. But, yeah. and Lowell said uh, somewhere, as always, I read the Wikipedia and the Pitchfork review, <laughs> just to be transparent. But, wow. Um, He's a he deep just diver. said it was in. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was probably better than what I did last episode. Apologies to our listener. But Lowell just said it was really intimidating being with Sufjan and feeling like, like, why am I even doing this with, with this genius? Hmm. You yeah. know? Yeah. But that's one thing I don't know, Sufjan, but that's one thing I'd assume is that, that he wouldn't present that way at all. Yeah. And that it, I imagine he would just be really collaborative and, and you know, and... Yeah. So I, that that to me makes this album really special. Is when you know that Sufjan's celebrating what his stepdad's done and inviting him into this commemorative album, and it's actually kind of cool to listen to it in that context. Yes. You know, I just thought of a great analogy. It's like, sorry, just going back again to my um, review, my critique. It's like Sufjan. I think his two main defining traits musically are like melancholy and quirk and, right and melancholy and quirk go together in certain genres i think better than others so when he's doing folk music uh and you know there's like he's singing a song about john wayne gacy mm-hmm. and then you hear or like a trumpet come in or whatever i don't know if that song has a trumpet but it's kind of like oh I don't know, this works. This kind of offsets it in a way. It's intrusive in a way that kind of helps it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like peanut butter and jelly. But sometimes the genre just doesn't work for a combination of quirk and melancholy, i.e. new age music. It's like it's like peanut butter and a, like you know, vegetables or something like, it's just like, I don't, <laughs> That's interesting. I don't want the quirk in there. Like, you know, one of my favorite, um, kind of ambient electronic artists, his name, he's called Tycho. And he writes, I mean, a lot of it is the same ideas that I'm hearing on this record. Lots of mm-hmm. pitch warbling and tapey and, but it's just so much more enjoyable because it's not, I wouldn't call it quirky. 
you know? Mm. There's no kind of like, whoa, 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 circus time kind of stuff popping in. It's all very cohesive. Do you think that, do you think Aporia gets too quirky? Is that what you're saying? I do think it does, yeah. Like, I don't want to hear you, like, pitch-bending this arp, like, three semitones, you know? It's <laughs> it's just over the top. Like, I'm, I'm like, make it sound, uh, make it smooth. But Sufian loves to punch smooth out, and I think that works really great a lot of the time. But I don't know. It's just not, I don't think this is the genre for it, personally. Yeah, and it highlights Sufjan's... Sufjan is both so accessible at moments of his career. Mm-hmm. If you think of, like, a pop song like Chicago, that, like... But... And then totally inaccessible. Yeah. And I feel like this lands somewhere in no man's land between the two. Uh, but one interesting thing is there are lyrics on one song on this album. Did you catch that at all, Jor? Yeah. It's to- towards the end. And it is interesting to to just be like, oh, Sufjan's singing, and what is he singing about? Mm-hmm. Okay, give me a name holding the flame, burning a megaphone, what are you waiting for? An open door? Show me your friends slamming at raves, I'll be the reservoir, what are you waiting for? Wait, is that it? Yeah. March through the door. Wait. Yeah, that's it. Oh yeah, what are you waiting for, my troubadour? Show me your face, set it in place, empty the reservoir. What are you waiting for, my troubadour? Weird. So I don't know why, but Genius Lyrics and Google give you different versions. But Oh. Yeah, so... So what, is, what do you think he's talking about there, Just? <laughs> and I think this is, what, this is what's hard is, like, I have no clue. And it, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the theme of the album. And even Aporia means what does it mean a contradiction uh let's look it up i actually don't know it's probably something i should have checked out before aporia an irresolvable internal contradiction or logical disjunction in a text argument or theory Hmm. and there's other things that obviously if sufjan if you're listening we'd love to interview you about aporia is anybody (laughs) because nobody's asking that um but there's interesting song titles like there's one that i think gives a nod to john ringhofer and half-handed cloud contributes to the album actually a lot of people contribute to the music as well so it's another really secretly collaborative work and i just feel like sufjan isn't is interested on inside jokes and just working with his friends and and doesn't really i think the thing that I'm almost envious of of Sufjan is his tight-knit circle of friends. 
yeah. and it feels so strong that he doesn't actually care about the circles out here that you and I fall in. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. I I think that like if we ever like you know we everyone here knows that one day we're gonna get Sufjan Stevens on. That was the worst podcast ever, um, and we're gonna interview him. And one of the questions. Well, we got so close with John Ringhofer, and I can't help but feel like John talked to him about us. And I don't. That makes me feel terrified and and like ecstatic <laughs> at the same time. But I don't know. I I should probably not think too much about that. Yeah, I I think one of the questions I'd love to ask Sufjan is, what like, um, what is your relationship to? your career as a kind of capitalistic endeavor, you know, like, are you thinking about your releases like as, as an entrepreneur in that, like that, I think that's the traditional way that, that people are, or at least nowadays, you know, are artists, right. they're kind of, they're entrepreneurs. Um, right. And yet often he'll just like make moves that are so antithetical to that. Yeah. And I wonder if, like if he is doing that intentionally um, or is he just literally like, has he trained himself to like kind of disattach himself from the like entrepreneurial considerations and just that's interesting, literally made whatever he wanted all the time, like stayed true to like why he started music in the first place or does, or has it morphed since then? Yeah. That's interesting, because this song, by the way, is called Backhanded Cloud, which just sounds so much like Half-Handed Cloud. Right, it's obviously a take on that, yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, so, I don't know. To return to my theory, I just think Sufjan's friends are really his family, but it's a good family, and it feels like Sufjan's kind of the antithetical artist right now because I feel like like you said and even for you to have a career you have to market to social media Mm -hmm. and you have to make songs and you have to think about you know the first 30 seconds and you probably have to think about TikTok and you probably have to think about all these things yeah I just feel like Sufjan thinks more about his friends and and his family and but I I mean I guess the paradox is that that's also part of his brand right and that's part of the reason why people like him. And so exactly. and so that's the question I would have is like is that intentional? Like are you are you thinking about that as a brand or is that like No, I don't think he thinks well, about it. Well, but of it. course, think, like he wants you to think that, right? No, I think <laughs> I think he lives in in New York and he has that this property and like this album was record Lowell came over to Sufjan's yeah. and they jammed, yeah. you know, and then the same year he's going to put out the Ascension as well. So the, both of these albums come out in 2020. Yeah. And, uh, but this one comes out first. So I don't think Sufjan listens that much. I think he accidentally found success in a way. And I think that success for him is beneficial that he can create music and not worry about anything else. But I think beyond that, I actually think he found what he was looking for. And it doesn't seem like he's looking for much else other than what he already has. Yeah, that's That's my theory. Yeah. I think you're, you're like, you're an optimistic person. And and it's not that I don't have that optimism too. I just am kind of like, you know, like I watched the Taylor Swift documentary 
uh, or the I just watched the Ed Sheeran one, which I would highly recommend. It's like oh. very interesting and weird. Did you watch the? Sorry to interrupt, but did you watch the Lewis Capaldi? I did. One? Yeah, I love pop pop documentaries. Okay, go on. Um, and while especially I would say that well, not, I, I I believe the Lewis Capaldi one more. Um, I think that Lewis Capaldi has like a great marketing team that has taken advantage of an authentic reality of Lewis Capaldi. Right. And so they are marketing in it, but I don't think it's like kind of crafted. I think there is like right. a, a real authenticity there. But especially when I watch the Ed Sheeran and the Taylor Swift one, I'm kind of like, they, this is so, uh, this is so intentional. Everything you see, like all the vulnerability, all the pain, it's all supposed to be there because everybody knows that you can't be perfect. Like that's, that's like a part of our kind of cultural narrative now. And it becomes pandering. It's like being real becomes pandering because being real is what people want. Yes, totally. And I actually love that. Like there's something sinister that creeps in yeah. about that. Yeah, totally. And I think, I just think Sufyan has somehow managed to stay away from that and has, I just, he's not on social media. I don't, I just think he's more concerned with just living his life and having good friends around and just making music that he's interested in. And I refuse to believe anything else. Yeah, that's great. I love it. <laughs> I, I think I think that too. I'm just, that's why I would love to ask him like, you know, like, for, cause for me, like whenever I put out a record, there's a lot of like, um, angst about it. Cause I'm kind of like, this isn't just like a, a piece of art. It's also like a product, you know, that I'm like putting out into the world and I have a fan base, uh, and I have ways of making money that I need to maintain. Um, and I think about those things. Um, and I think that's normal. Like, I just wonder how much yeah. he thinks about those things. Like, or if, huh? Yeah. I also wonder what about if, this. Sorry, he, you know, he did "Call Me by Your Name." His song was on the OC soundtrack. Yeah. So, like, somebody is thinking about these things. Exactly, Maybe it is him. Exactly. Right. Yes, and I mean, like, he's—you can't be as big as him and not have like some marketing expertise behind what you're doing. It's—it's it's just literally impossible. But he also doesn't do it that much. But he does market. Like, when he, like, the fact, like, for example, putting a tour together is a huge marketing endeavor, especially the kinds of tours he's doing. He's often bringing huge bands, light shows. Like, that stuff is all, like, tons of work. And I'm sure he's hiring people to do it. I just am saying, like, it's not like he's literally just, like, some dude sitting in his living room writing songs and then just throwing them out into the world. Like, there is a machine behind it. I just wonder how, how much is he involved in the machine? Oh, that's good. But Aporia just isn't that. No, I know. It just isn't. Exactly. And a lot of what he does isn't yeah, that. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Because Chicago was such a big hit. Yeah. It was in Little Miss Sunshine. Totally. You know, and and it does seem like he could have, I don't know. I, I don't know. I also we talk about that, this I think that lot, like but. if you're not, if you're not um, that, if, if you're kind of content to like have a certain amount of money and you make like a, a decent amount of money, <laughs> I yeah. wonder if like that's, there's like a threshold where you're kind of like, 
that's enough for me. Now I'll just do what I want. Like, I, that's how I kind of feel. Like, if I was, like, pulling in, say, like, consistently every year, like $100,000 a year, let's say, um, yeah. I probably would just do whatever I wanted if, if that was, like, dependable. And I'm, and I'm sure Sufyan has, like, a steady, you know, even just from royalties, from a lot of the, the stuff he's done. It takes a really level head, though, to not say yes to the, the hype of your own hype. Yeah. And when people say, we want to do this, we want to make you bigger, we want, yeah. we want you to have $200,000, or we want, you know what's cool? Not a million dollars, a billion dollars, you know, <laughs> yeah. the Sean Parker thing. It's, you, it's really hard to not say yes to those things. Totally. Totally. But I, I don't know, there's just, even how Sufjan moved out of New York, he seems really recluse, even. Yeah. But, yeah. Or, you know, Carrie and Lowell was a big hit. It was, totally. And, and I, I, I almost wonder, it seems like there's kind of two, there's two kinds of records he d- does. There's like the collab-y stuff, um, like Aporia. And then there's yeah. like the Sufjan records. And it, it feels like you can tell there's more of a marketing push behind the Sufjan records. Even this compared to um, The Ascension. Right. You know, like there was more hype around The Ascension. There were music videos and... Oh yeah, like uh, he even got a TikTok dancer for the video game. Yeah, music video. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. It's just, I just wish I had the security of Sufjan. Moving on from Aporia, what is, uh, what are you listening to these days? Oh, um, yeah. Well, I've been going. I I love Joy Division. I've been listening to a lot of Joy Division for Mm -hmm. a while now, Um, but I don't know. I. I've found I actually listen to a, a lot of uh, angsty. I, I don't even know if, I don't know if it's kind of embarrassing, but I really like this kind of this song called, it's a relationship song called Complex by Katie Gregson McLeod. Okay. What about you, Jor? Um, I'm in a big war on drugs phase right now. Really? Yeah, I love them so, so much. Is that the band that, uh, 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 sorry, I'm blanking. Oh, the Sun Kill Moon guy? He was doing a show and War on Drugs was playing and they were too loud and he just like said they were the worst and there was like a big feud. Oh, probably. I think it was War on Drugs. Mark, what's his name? Mark. Kozlik. Yeah, Mark Kozlik. Yeah, uh, probably. That guy's a bit of a loose cannon. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, War on Drugs, hey? Should I check him out? Oh. Like, what is it about him? I mean, to me, it's like everything that... Do you like Bruce Springsteen? No. Okay. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it's it's like this kind of t- like fresh take on kind of American rock. Everything's like really ste- like steady drum beats like the whole time, kind of fast pace, lots of guitars. But it's the kind of music that in theory I wouldn't like. It's kind of like it, when you hear yeah, about it. Yeah, I'm actually it, kind of surprised because it's like, dad it, it's rock like rock and roll kind of, right? <coughs> yeah, but it isn't. It is. It's very well crafted. Um, I love it so much. So I would highly recommend that. I also am really into this guy Westerman, he's called. Um, he just put out a new record called uh, An Inbuilt Fault. Uh, hmm. And he had a record come out um, a while back called Your Hero Is Not Dead, which is one of my favorites. But he's this British guy who kind of does like Peter Gabriel slash Blue Nile, like kind of like 80s soft rock, but like arty soft rock. Wow, that sounds um, cool. Yeah, I really, really like it a lot. So Westerman, you said? Yeah, Westerman. Dead is a, a, a way more accessible record. Um, yeah, and then I think, yeah, that's oh, and then oh, there's this band called O.C. Elliot from Van, or I think it might be from Victoria. It was a long Monday. But they kind of, they just write these really, really ordinary kind of um, folk songs, but they're really, really good. And my producer produces them and... Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, I've been listening to a 90s playlist a lot. Okay. Actually, that song uh, from the Wallflowers, their big hit. Oh, hey, so good. Hey, come on, come on. Yeah, that whole record is amazing. Like, 
I, it's good. Yeah. I'm surprised going back to some of this music. I'm like, wow, this is really good. Oh, man. They have another song called Sixth Avenue Heartache. That was another one of their singles. So good too. But the '90s were like so. The '90s were so great. They had there were so many much great music. Even though it was like the height of this like kind of corporate machine, it was still yeah. like the corporate machine spat out some good shit. I know. There's some good stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, um, anything else, Jura? Should we wrap up? Let's wrap up. As always, um, we think the dress looks nice on you, and we wish you a very happy summer season. <laughs> well said, Jordan. <laughs> Bye, everybody. We love you. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.